are basically two types of love in this world, conditional love and unconditional love. One belongs to the world, it's a shallow imposter. The other one belongs to God and it's the real thing. I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're going to check out this whole love thing. Are you living out the sort of love that will leave a powerful legacy in the lives of those whom you've loved? Let's do it. Let's head into God's Word. Marilyn Monroe once said, I'm selfish, impatient, and a little insecure. I make mistakes, I'm out of control, and at times hard to handle. But if you can't handle me at my worst, then you certainly don't deserve me at my best. That's a cheery thought, isn't it? But it makes an important point. People who are perfect are easy to love, aren't they? They never make mistakes, they never fall short of our expectations, they never disappoint us or hurt us or ignore us. Yeah, those people are so easy to love. Have you ever met one? A perfect person, that is. <laughs> Me neither. Of course, we know that there aren't any perfect people walking around on this planet today. We kind of know that in our heads, but that doesn't stop us from expecting perfection when we go looking for love. And I'm not just talking about boy, girl, husband, wife kind of love. Friendship is a form of love. Being a parent involves loving. In fact, in a sense, we can interact with work colleagues, associates, acquaintances, either in love or not, with compassion or not, with kindness or not. You understand what I'm saying? My dictionary tells me that love is a strong feeling of affection and attraction. Well, that can be true. It's true to a point, at least some of the time. But that dictionary definition falls a long way short of what love really is. That romantic sort of love is easy to have when a person we're loving is perfect. Let's face it, everybody can be perfect in short bursts. But anybody who's ever been married will tell you that their lifelong soulmate is far from perfect lots of the time. Anybody who's ever been a parent will tell you their children are far from perfect. So what is love? What's the definition when people and situations and circumstances and relationships are imperfect? Which, let's face it, they are most of the time. What does it mean to love someone then? Jesus once said, No greater love has any man than to lay down his life for his friends. If we stop and think about that, it's absolutely true. Because in an imperfect world, loving imperfect people... Love is all about sacrifice. In fact, I'd like to propose an entirely different definition for love. Love is the decision that we make to unconditionally care for, support and honour someone on their good days and on their bad days. And the fruit of that kind of love is that it develops a relationship that becomes rich and satisfying. In other words, the feelings follow along behind the decision to radically sacrifice ourselves to another person to put up with their failures, to help them when they're acting badly rather than to criticise them, to give them the space to make mistakes and yet still be there for them when they come to their senses. Oftentimes, love is a radical sacrifice that hurts. And when we choose to live out that radical sacrifice, relationships develop that last a lifetime. How's that for a definition of love? Radical, sacrificial, unconditional love. What would our world look like if 
everybody adopted that definition of love instead of this trite, superficial, inch-deep dictionary definition, a strong feeling of affection. Affection is the reward of love. The feeling is the result of love. Love, as you may have heard me say before, isn't just a noun. It's not simply something that we have or we don't have. It's also a verb. It's a doing word. Love is something that we're meant to do, and the doing part of love often involves sacrifice. Now, we each would like to think that we'd leave behind a legacy of love, that when we're gone, our kids, our grandchildren, our friends, our wider family, in fact, all the people that we've come into contact with will be better off for having known us. That's a pretty natural thing to want. But let me tell you, there can be no lasting legacy of love that our lives leave behind unless we're living out the right definition of love. Does that make sense? And that definition is that love is a decision to make radical sacrifices for other people. And radical sacrifices always, always, always cost us something. True greatness isn't about what we achieve. True greatness is about what we leave behind in the hearts of those whom we've served. Again, that's exactly what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. The greatest among you will become the servant of all. Can I ask you this? What definition of love are you living out? Are you living out that shallow dictionary definition or the real definition, the true definition, God's definition of radical sacrifice? The most beautiful and the most sublime definition of love that I've ever come across is, of course, in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I've often heard it read and spoken about at weddings in a, in a lovey-dovey, fluffy kind of a way. But have a listen and tell me whether you think that what the Bible is saying here through the Apostle Paul is lovey-dovey and all fluffy and soft. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 4. God says that love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. It's not boastful or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoings, but instead it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. In fact, love never ends. It seems to me that every part of that description or definition, if you will, is an explanation of the sacrifice involved in loving someone. Patience, hey, that's a sacrifice. Kindness can be a real sacrifice. Not being envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Not insisting on your own way all the time. Not being irritable or resentful. Bearing all things. Enduring all things. Hey, that is a description of sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice that's never meant to end. There's nothing lovey-dovey or fluffy about any of that. There's nothing romantic about it. It speaks of sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. My friend, the sort of love that God is calling you and me to is the sort that involves radical sacrifice, the sort that the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, where he says, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Dying for someone who is your enemy is the ultimate sacrifice. My friend, anyone who wants to live a life that leaves behind a lasting legacy of love, well, they need to be living that sort of life. They need to be living that sort of sacrifice. It's as simple as that.
when we're flat out, when we're busy with our hectic lives that we lead, leaving a lasting legacy of love, well, come on, it's not always at front of mind, is it? But ask anyone who has a lot more time on their hands, maybe someone who's retired or living on their own, and one of the things that's right up there at the top of their list is the significance of their lives. What impact have I had? Are people better off for having known me? What legacy will I leave behind when I'm gone? They ponder those questions perhaps more than any others. It's funny how our perspective changes as we get older. The less time we have left on the planet, the more the important things become really important. Problem is, when you're older, well, it's not necessarily the best time to start thinking about this stuff, right? Because then many of the opportunities to have a positive impact, to leave a lasting legacy of love, will already have passed us by. And then what? It's why we're chatting about this stuff today, because the life we're living right now, today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, that's the very same life that's going to determine the legacy that you and I leave behind. And one of the strongest indicators of how good or not, how powerful or not, how long-lasting or not that legacy is going to be, is the sort of love that we give to other people. As I said earlier, there are really only two types of love, conditional love and unconditional love. Now, giving out unconditional love can be hard work because it involves sacrifice, which is what we were talking about a little earlier on. It involves time. It involves effort. So you have to ask yourself, come on, is it really worth it? Well, to answer that question, the best thing, I think, is to look at conditional love first. Now, conditional love, quite simply, is the sort of love that has strings attached. We place conditions on the party whom we're going to love. I will love you if, if you do this, and if you don't do that. Provided that you hold to your end of that bargain, I'll love you. But if you don't, I won't. Now, on the surface of that, that sounds just a bit reasonable after all. If the other person is difficult, if the other person is a pain in the neck, if the other person isn't playing the game... Why would you love them? Just cut them off, be done with them, move on. And of course, that's what many people do. That's what divorce is all about. In fact, the more you think about it, the less you and I want to be on the receiving end of conditional love. Am I right? And the reason for that is that we know we're not perfect. My weaknesses, your weaknesses, they sometimes give us a distorted view of the world. And so we can be overly touchy about this or that, or or we behave badly, or we react badly to something. So we need people to love us who are prepared to love us despite our weaknesses, despite the fact that we fail them sometimes, despite the fact that we won't always meet up to their expectations. If we can't find people like that, We're not going to be secure in who we are and where we belong. And yet, all too often, the love that we ourselves crave is not the love that we dish out to others. How often have you allowed another person's weaknesses or failures or how they've disappointed you to cause you to withdraw your love, your friendship, your support from them? Well, well, you know, if that's how you're going to be, then... We've all done that, haven't we? We may not have said it out loud, but we've certainly thought it and we've certainly done it. It's like pulling the rug out from someone's feet. They were relying on your love and your support and all of a sudden you pull it out from underneath them and they fall flat on their faces. There was a time in my life when I was really difficult to love. I'm not perfect today, but back then I was really difficult to love. 
I'd gone through a rough patch. A few people, one in particular who should have been there to love me unconditionally, had failed me and withdrawn their love and support. At that time, some friends came out of the woodwork, people to whom I'd never been particularly nice, and they loved me unconditionally. They gave me somewhere to live, they wept with me, they held me, they encouraged me. This was truly unconditional love. Those people, if they're listening to this today, know exactly who they are. Those people have left a lasting legacy of love in my heart. They've in fact helped shape who I am more than anyone else. Each time you benefit from something I say, you're actually benefiting from some of the things they did for me. It's a legacy that's rippled out to countless more people. Why? Because the most precious sort of love of all is the love that we don't earn. That's the sort of love that will cause your life to leave a lasting legacy of love, unconditional love. The very sort of love that God gives to anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, his son. Back in the Old Testament, the agreement between God and his people Israel was conditional. God basically said, I'll bless you if you keep my commandments, but if you don't, I'll punish you. Well, Israel copped rather a lot of punishment because somehow they just couldn't seem to obey God's commandments. Sound like anybody you know? You can read that contract between God and his people Israel, or the covenant, if you will, in Leviticus chapter 26. It's really worth a read. Of course, the Lord our God always knew it wasn't going to work. So eventually, he sent us Jesus, his son, to die on that cross to pay for our sins. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And the reason that God's love towards you and me is so precious is that it costs us nothing, but it costs him everything, the precious life of his son Jesus. In Christ, God's love is completely unconditional in every way. No matter what I do, no matter how badly I fail, I will always be forgiven. I am always forgiven because my trust is completely in what Jesus did for me. And the same, the very same, is true for you if your trust is completely in what Jesus did for you. My friend, if you would leave behind a lasting legacy of love, then the sort of love that you need to give today is the very same that you've already been given through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's unconditional love. Okay, well, so if you had to, would you be prepared to do that? Would you be prepared to die for the people that you love? Pretty tough question, isn't it? I want to share with you today an historical story that comes from the nation of Israel about a young woman called Esther. She was a young Jewish woman who lived in the 3rd or 4th century BC. As had been the case for most of their history, the Israelites were captive and they were subservient to a foreign king with a funny name, Ahasuerus, who ruled over 127 provinces between India and Ethiopia. He and his wife had a falling out, so, as was the custom, he sent out his servants to gather all the beautiful young maidens in the land for him to choose another wife. It was kind of a try-before-you-buy plan, sadly, but true. As a result of this process, young Esther became queen. Now, unbeknownst to the king, she is, of course, a Hebrew of the nation of Israel. Nevertheless, once she's queen, she's queen. 
But not long after that, her uncle Mordecai, who raised her, discovers that one of the king's top advisors, Haman, has decided to destroy all the Jews in the kingdom, quite simply to put them to death, a genocide. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Haman said this to the king, Esther chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. There is a certain people scattered and separated among the peoples in all of the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not appropriate for the king to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued for their destruction, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, so that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, The money is given to you, and the people as well, to do with them as it seems good to you. Hmm. So, what do you do now? Well, Uncle Mordecai sends a message to his niece, Queen Esther, to go into the king and get him to change his mind. Yeah, it's not as easy as it sounds. So Esther sends this message back to Uncle Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes into the king inside the inner court without being called, there's but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out his golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself haven't been called in to come to the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai sent back a swift reply. Don't think, Esther, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at a time such as this, relief and deliverance will rise up for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to a royal dignity for a time such as this. Of course, what he said made a lot of sense. It was very logical. But think of the dilemma that this young woman faced. Think of the position she's now been put into. What's she going to do? Is she going to sit back and watch all of her other fellow Jews die? Or would she put her life on the line? Would she go into the king? Would she take the risk? And when she did, would she find his favour or would she come to an untimely and early death? This girl showed such great courage and she in fact decided to go into the king who ultimately held up his scepter. She won his favour, she wooed him and she changed his mind. He then in turn rescinded the order of genocide against the Jews and ultimately Haman, the man who'd plotted the demise of the Jews, was himself put to death. Now, there's probably very little chance that you or I will ever be put in Esther's position. Hopefully, there's a very, very small chance indeed that you or I would literally be asked to physically put our lives on the line for someone else the way Esther did. It's a possibility, of course. It happens in war. It happens in certain times. But probably the chances are small. And yet, each and every day, opportunities are bound for you and opportunities are bound for me to lay down our lives for others, for our kids when they make some terrible mistakes in life, for our wives or our husbands as they fall short of our expectations, for our work colleagues, for our community. In fact, as you think about it, opportunities literally abound for us to lay down our lives for other people. Friend, we live in a world that's so used to instant gratification and disposable just about everything and all too many of us, when we don't get that instant gratification from a person or from a relationship, what we want to do is dispose of them. 
So let me ask you again. Would you lay down your life for your friends, for your family, for those whom you love? Will you give them the sort of sacrificial love that you would want to get from them if you were in their shoes or not? I know they're tough questions, but they're exactly the questions we need to be asking ourselves if we want to live the sort of life that leaves behind a legacy of love. This is what Jesus had to say about laying down his life for his friends. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, well, he sees a wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and runs away and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand doesn't care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. For this reason the father loves me because I lay my life down in order to take it up again. Make no mistake, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The price that God paid for you and me is totally mind-blowing. The life of his precious Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be spared eternal judgment and instead have an abundant life in this earth and live an eternal life in the presence of God. It boggles my mind what God did for you and me. And you notice that Jesus did it deliberately. Jesus wasn't the victim here. He wasn't dragged kicking and screaming to the cross. Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for someone who didn't deserve it. And that's what makes God's grace and his love so powerful. It's unconditional. And it came at a price. And even God himself didn't shrink from laying his life down for us. So my prayer for you is that as you contemplate this passage of Scripture, and I encourage you, grab it again, read it, and let it sink into your heart. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. As you contemplate this Scripture... My prayer is that that sort of love, the love that he has for you, the price that he was prepared to pay for you, that that might take you to a place where you can honestly evaluate and re-evaluate the love that you show to others around you, even the ones that don't deserve it, and especially the ones that don't deserve it. To the people that really matter and to the people who don't matter, to the people whose lives, when all is said and done, in which you would like to leave a lasting life legacy of love. What sort of love do you give? Do you give conditional love or do you give unconditional love, the love that God gave to you in Jesus Christ? Just before we go, I'd like to tell you about a free gift that we'd love to send you to help you experience the power of God more and more in your life. Each month, Bernie writes a new life application booklet around the sorts of issues that we all deal with in life. It's designed to take you deeper into God's Word and then to help you live out what you've discovered. It's about helping you experience God's love and power in your faith walk. To request the latest e-booklet, visit ChristianityWorks.org and you'll see that free offer towards the top of the homepage. I'm believing that it'll be a mighty blessing to you. Again, 
That web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Diamond, and we'll catch you again next time. <laughs>